welcome to A Regenerative Future with Matt Powers. I'm your host, Matt Powers. This is a podcast where we talk about solutions, real regenerative solutions that you can apply today, that you can apply tomorrow, and they will work. They will serve you. They will help you to heal yourself, your environment, and the planet. These are solutions that are home scale. These are business scale. I'm talking to scientists and experts all over the world. This is something that you can make part of your life today. So today we're gonna to be talking about something that is on everyone's mind, a question that everyone seems to have. When we talk about soil, when we talk about the science, people wanna know how do we heal and remediate our soils? How do we take out the pollution, the toxins, the heavy metals? How are we going to deal with this incredibly pervasive and incredibly difficult problem? So I have been thinking about this for a long time. I've been researching this for a long time. I've been studying books, talking to scientists about this for a long time. So I've got a lot to say about this. So let's dive into this. I'm so excited to be talking about this. This is going to be a big part of the Kickstarter Permaculture Soil Science and Solutions that starts on Monday. If you are hearing this and it's after September 9th, please go to the Kickstarter, check it out, join us, support it. It is going to be so important. It is going to change so many lives. It's going to help so many people. Soil is the linchpin in our climate, in our ecology, in our food, in our health. So it is critical that we discuss, that we educate, that we spread this knowledge. So I hope that you join us in that. So what are we talking about here? How are we actually going to remediate the soils? Well, there are a number of ways to do it. Number one, adding organic matter. So that's adding more carbonaceous material. So that's, you know, leaves, that's mulch, sheet mulch, compost, um, all the kind of amendments that you'd be adding to a garden to improve it. You're gonna be adding to actually um, provide composting material. So things that um, are gonna be turned into long carbon chains in the decomposition process of the soil food web. And so when that happens, heavy metals and other elements um, that are in excess get tied into that. They get um, turned into inert substances that are tied up in carbon, long carbon chains. And the black residue that we see on our fingers when we're going through really, really good soil, that is that carbonaceous material. And also, when we raise the organic matter levels that high and the soil life is working on it, there's a lot of colloids that form, especially after 45%, as Jeff Lawton likes to say. And you end up forming these gels. And these gels have the ability to hold heavy metals and prevent them from being soluble, prevent them from cycling, and then moving and leaching in the soil system. So organic matter is a great, a great first step. It's an easy first step. It's something that usually is right there and we can work with. And then we need to keep that carbon cycling going. We need to push that. We, uh, we need to um, help that work and we need to provide more life. So um, that's where uh, adding compost tea comes in, adding compost comes in. Um, maybe you're gonna be adding EM. So EM is, is effective microbes. I just did a video on this on, our, on my YouTube channel, Matt Powers, a permaculture student, and I talk about what are effective microbes. EM is incredibly amazing. Um, it has the ability to transform things like nitrogen compounds into amino acids. 
and it's either trapping the heavy metals and other toxins that it sequesters and accumulates in itself and then gets turned into carbon chains as it's consumed by other soil food members or it's, or it's containing them in colloids. It's not quite certain right now what's going on, but it is clear that EM is incredible in bioremediation. And that is a living consortium of microbiology, mostly yeasts and different bacterias. Um, and, and so mushrooms and fungi, right? That's, that's kind of like the hot topic right now, using uh, microremediation to help with soils. And they are incredibly effective, but it depends on what we're talking about. So they're, they're incredibly effective at pulling things out of the soil, um, uh, taking uh, complex molecules, complex carbohydrates, uh, uh, halogens, hal halogenated compounds, all these different things. They're really good at taking those things apart. Sometimes these toxins are embodied in them. So their fruit, which is, you know, the mushroom, sometimes embodies the toxin. Specifically, what I'm referring to is radiation. So in even more specific, what I'm referring to is that Paul Stamets article where he's re referencing all the information about using mushrooms to bioremediate radiation uh, in a, like a Chernobyl setting and how he would remove the mushrooms, burn them, and then take that radioactive ash and store that as a way of bioremediating it. I, I honestly think that we're gonna get to the point where we can speed up the half-lives of uh, radioactive substances with bacteria and other things, but we're not there yet. So that is one solution for one very extreme case, but I think it's really important to include the extreme cases because all too often folks tend to just see uh, the hint on the horizon of, of something good happening and then they blanket statement that that is how it will work for everything that is across that horizon, right? And so I think it's really important to go to those extremes and show how there are thresholds. There are always thresholds and we'll come back to that as well. And then plants. Um, you know, phytoremediation is extraordinarily popular. I love the book by Leela Darwish. Um, she really, uh, when that came out, I felt like it pushed me. And so hopefully this new soil book I wrote, you know, you know, pushes her and gives her the impetus to write another superb and excellent book. The book that I'm referring to is, of course, Earth Repair. And it has this stupendous chart in it that has a lot of collected information about what plants I accumulate what. Um, I have more information um, to add to that chart, like we'll talk about today but that's a wonderful starting place. And then she has a great website that also goes into a lot of the information, gives tons of the information away for free. So Leela is a wonderful resource. Um, I've never met her, but I'm sure when I do, um, she's gonna be one of my best friends. So um, yeah, no, I, I, I totally think that everyone should check out Earth Repair, support her work, go to her website, check all that out. And then I will continue to uh, expand things and, and push things um, as, as we all should, I believe. We all should be continuously pushing things, expanding things, thinking about things in a broader sense, more specific sense, micro to macro, helping each other, you know, find the new studies, get the new information, get the new understanding, break down the myths, explain the unexplained, you know, explore those caveats, contradictions, overlaps. You know what I mean? All that, all that. I'm, I'm really into all of that. I believe that's what educators should be all about. I believe that if curiosity leads with education, then especially in science, then experimentation 
and revising our thinking is going to be continuous and should be um, loved, <laughs> both anticipated and enjoyed. So, so yeah, no, I'm all about, um, that's why I've got, you know, two editions to my biggest book, The Permaculture Student 2, and there's a third edition that's in the works for that. So, back to this, phytoremediation, that chart, you know, it's amazing, but it's really important to remember that that chart can be misleading because even though sunflowers are, you know, bioaccumulating lead or these different plants are doing different things, it's really important to remember that a lot of the plants are just gassing off those things. So you have got like these riparian plants gassing off halogenated carbons and like, and, and, and releasing um, like literally air pollution into the air. And so we have to like recognize what things do, realize there's no such thing as a way plants either gas off in body or transform. It's a very powerful route. That's what EM was doing with the nitrogen is transforming it right into amino acids so the plants can combine them and create the proteins they like to make. And then as they break down, they get turned back into the organic nitrogen, right? So again, there is no away. We have to track these things. We got to understand where these things are going and, and push them towards um, building the soil and things being non-soluble that are dangerous. You know what I mean? Take them out of the, the economy. I mean, really, like where else could it go? <laughs> there is no way. So we got to just keep that in mind always. So how effective is this? Because it's, it's great to just say something, right? That like sunflowers take out lead, but is it like a clean like wipe? Like up oh, and then there's no more lead. I grew my sunflower and so like one sunflower. I mean, we need to understand these things. And the reality is there's not much research done on this. There are thresholds, of course, um, you can handle only up to a certain point of that toxin. You can't, you know, grow in lead filings and a little bit of dirt, you know, this plant and have it all turn out hunky-dory and have no lead filings at the end. You know, it's it, we really have to keep our thinking caps on, be good scientists, and also be responsible with what we have and test. Testing is really, really critical. And, and, and we're really only sponging it up. So it's not just testing, it's doing this multiple times, multiple passes. So what does this all mean? Well, we can reach a safe harbor without having to remove everything. We can create the life buffers. We can, we can partner with the soil food web. We can clad the roots, clad the cells. We can protect the plants. And even though it's in the soil, we can have our plants not uptake it. This is real. This is happening all the time. We've got plants growing next to crazy, you know, toxic lagoons in the rainforest. And it's like, how is that plant growing there? Well, there is a barrier. There's a biological barrier between them. And we need to, we need to enhance that barrier by, again, raising our organic matter levels and, again, uh, making that carbon cycle move faster and more efficiently and providing the life that is needed, the fungi, the plants. When we provide these tools, when there is enough information, when there are enough resources, plants have the ability to um, get the protection they need. And again, this is, this is really important. So um, you may improve your soil to the point where those plants that are bioremediating no longer are taking up the toxins. And then you might get to the point where even though it's still present, when you're testing the soil in the traditional soluble testing of soil, you don't see it. 
So it could still be there in non-soluble form and it could not be taken up by the plants because it's buffered. Even though those plants are designed to bioaccumulate that substance, when they've got a full palette of choice and they've got a full buffer, they choose to not just become like little lead machines. Uh, you know what I mean? So it's really important. And I would add, you know, if you're dealing with lead, something that bioaccumulates it at a really high level is comfrey and really surprisingly, cucumbers. And so if we're going to test these sites for lead, I think it would be best to use um, bioaccumulators. They're the best kind of simulators for like our bodies, right? Because we are one biological system removed from them. So their digestion, their gut digestion is happening all on the soil. Uh, the soil food web is their gut digestion. Our gut digestion is happening inside our bodies. Uh, and sometimes, you know, we're breaking it down with pickling jars, fermentation, those kinds of things outside of our bodies before we add it in. But it's the same exact idea. So that's what we're really trying to do is we're trying to ramp those things up, responsibly manage them and carefully distribute these toxins. Because in this shooting from the hip culture that we find ourselves in these days, there's too much of people just making bold claims and doing things without actually testing, doing things without actually understanding all the different variables. So I think it's really critical to run through all these things, really critical to discuss them and, and teach in a way that everyone can participate in this. So what about Roundup? I mean, this is the, the, the number one thing that I get asked about. I'm sure if you are teaching gardening at any level, this has come up, Roundup. Um, glyphosate, the main ingredient in Roundup is a concern for so many people. It's systemic, it's everywhere, it's in the brain, it's in the water systems and cycle. It's systemic inside the plants. People are really worried about this stuff. So one thing I can say right off the bat is Dr. Lane Ingham said that it was a bacterial food because it, it makes the soil more alkaline. Um, and so adding molasses to our compost tea can actually, and our kitchen scraps and vermicompost, uh, they're going to, and then, you know, even adding EM and stuff, all that's going to uh, add a lot more bacterial side to things, even though EM is gonna be more acidic, um, that bacteria is gonna go in there and um, it's going to eat up that round up and it's going to transform it and pass it on in the soil food web as something else or a collection of something else's. And you might actually have to till a little bit um, and I know that's driving it more alkaline, I know that's gonna create more weeds, but you might need to do that to properly access and reach all the areas where the Roundup glyphosate is. And then you have to repeat and test this just like we originally talked about. So from there, it's no-till, organic matter, fungi, two years of cover cropping, chop and drop, that kind of stuff. And we're going to come back to that in a second because that's like the traditional way that I've taught it. But there is something new, something um, that is suggestive of a whole lot deeper a connection of understanding that is emerging that I, I'm gonna talk about. But let me just first finish at this level and then we'll go to the next. All right, so what about lead? Well, it's released when the soils are acidic 
and it's locked up when it's alkaline just to start off with so your bacterial dominant gardens they're not going to be that much of a problem with lead because it's not going to be soluble so it's gonna be locked up even if it's present but let's talk about this because we got sunflowers we got corn we got tomato they're all going to accumulate lead and then of course we have comfrey which is not in Leela Darwish's book but is in Robert Keurig's book when he talks about how it is not a dynamic bioaccumulator that everyone talks about it being he was the one who spread that original concept and he's been trying to bless his heart trying this whole time to, to correct it and it's been decades now he just really wants people to understand that comfrey is not exactly what people think it is. It's not going extra deep to get extra minerals. The top six to eight inches of the soil are where all the minerals and nutrients primarily are. And so all those deeper roots are actually going for just water. So it's really important to understand all this. He's mapped the roots. He actually maps roots and then does the testing on all these things. And so, so yeah, it's really important to understand all that. But there are other things that you can do in this situation um, where you're bioaccumulating them. That is awesome, no doubt. And then you're removing them, but what the heck do you do with them? Well, there's some fancy stuff here. There's some fun science here. So when we talk about lead, there's this special thing that happens when phosphorus or iron is combined with lead. It creates pyromorphite crystals, which are non-soluble. And so we could, we could literally be adding, tilling in fish bones, chicken manure, bone meal, bat guano, or you know, the, that all, all those are wonderful plants that do the same exact thing that are high in iron and phosphorus. Phosphorus being like daikon radishes that we talked about the five cousins in the recent video. Or buckwheat, which is called the phosphorus pump by many people. And then iron, we got mugwort, echinacea, tomatillo. So there are all these options that we could do as cover crops, we could till in. Leela Darwish talks about using fish bones, chicken manure, bone meal, bat guano, tilling that in and then covering it with mulch, organic matter in a green cap. The green cap being in quotes there. So um, this, this to me is just absolutely wonderful. I mean, really we're talking about just changing the pH binding it into pyromorphite crystals and then pulling it out with plants and testing the plants in the soil so between all those different things in a season or two you probably could get things down into tolerable levels extraordinarily fast this is really all possible we all can do this and now for the craziness so i I actually just reached out to one of the scientists working on this and it was incredible to learn that they were working on the Los Plateau project and the soil for the Los Plateau project and dry farming. So I have a lot more to talk to them about than just this, but I learned today or was it yesterday? Well, anyway, it's been on my mind so much that it feels like it's been more than a day. There is a way to remove glyphosate in a high efficiency manner so that in a very short period of time, we can reduce it to levels where it's just negligible. It's hardly even there. This sounds too good to be true, but let's take a step back and look at our bodies and look at the soil and look at water and do, and do that. And then we'll step forward again into the detail. So when I was in Washington, I learned about a new health breakthrough that is sweeping through doctor's offices and homes 
and you may have heard of it, but I didn't hear of it until then, uh, ozone. So it's oxygenating things to such a high level that it's like biological bleach. So what happens is O3 is very unstable. You're putting it into a situation where it's releasing all those oxygen, binding to things and oxidizing them, burning them chemically, in other words. And so when I had a problem with one of my teeth, instead of antibiotics, they took a shot of ozone they made in front of me and then injected it into my, my jaw. It was wild. And then off of Amazon, we get the oxygen liniment that our doctor recommended for dealing with any infection. And oh my word, works better than Neosporin or any of those name brands that we ever encountered. And so it's this idea that we're hyper oxygenating things. Reminds me a lot of aerating the soil, reminds me a lot of aerobic compost, you know, actively aerated, you know, compost tea. It reminds me of that meme that went around of that Peruvian lake that was contaminated and that Asian researcher came and brought nanotechnology. He was using nano oxygen bubbles. So he was aerating it on a nano level and he was able to remove all these toxins. So it seems like oxidizing, burning, purifying. I mean, think about working out, you know, think about the, how, what oxygen does to our bodies and cleansing it, strengthening it, energizing it. And it's this biological truth. It's this, this linkage micro to macro, and it cleans the soil of glyphosate. And I also found another article where it removes organic contaminants. So we're talking about like common heavy metals and toxins that we're seeing everywhere. They're greatly reduced by this. So what is this thing I'm talking about? Well, they are using ozone and UV radiation. It's really interesting. It's dielectric barrier discharge. So it's, it's basically like a UV light. So they're, they're the discharge, that electrical connection that happens between two electrodes, right? and it's, it's producing some light, and it's producing some UV radiation, and it's producing some ozone. And so when they would apply this to soil, to contamination, they were able to reduce it miraculously. And this is a pathway that we did not know about. This is, uh, I mean, we, we've been talking, it feels like in the past five to 10 years, increasingly about bioelectricity. Um, this is not a new concept. You know, I sing the body electric was a weather report album, right? Ages ago. But this is something that we've been, we've been touching upon off and on for years in medicine, for years in science. And we just keep reaching dead ends and then coming back to it when we find new pathways inward. And so this is another pathway inward. I do know that if the hyperoxygenation, the ozonation works for it in situ there, then all the stuff that we're doing with our bodies with oxygenating that, um, people are, are ozonating all sorts of things and, and, and applying it all sorts of ways. So we may find that instead of dealing with cancer, instead of dealing with tumors or problems in their blood, we're going to be targeting toxins in the blood, toxins in the body, and undoing them using the same exact protocols. So 
it's it's early days, very early days, but the same modality of hyper-oxygenating the body that we discovered recently, having all these miraculous benefits, are now showing us in situ, in no doubt a different form, right? No doubt a different form, but, but I, I would argue probably that the ozone gas that they're talking about um, that's um, right around it is probably just the same as the ozone gas that um, they injected me with. So, so it's still early days, but we're already seeing this crazy linkage between these two things and healing modalities. And we probably are gonna see um, huge leaps and bounds found in this and with people quickly um, cleansing themselves, cleansing the soil, uh, moving on to no-till, regenerative organic, um, moving on with their lives and their health and, and letting go of, of these health crises that are you know attacking so many of our families and loved ones and trying to take them from us. And uh, we don't have to stand for that. You know, we, we, we can take action, we can make good choices and we can start down these pathways. There are doctors that are working with these modalities. There are soil scientists that are working on this. I'm interviewing people, we are exploring this. We are going to find this bridge. Not just for, you know, my wife and my family, and, you know, but for everyone because this is, this is our, our, our birthright. This is, we, we deserve to know how to clean up this planet, this gift, this, these, these gifts that we've been given in this life, our bodies, our families, this earth, the seeds and the cycles that all surround us and bless us. This is our birthright to know how to properly manage, how to heal and how to enhance and beneficially participate. This is our birthright. And that's, you know, this is why I'm writing this book. This is why I'm creating this curriculum. This is why I am who I am. Because I know, I don't believe, I know that this is who we are. We are soil beings. We are humans. We are humus, humble humans, dust to dust, soil to soil. And we are here to heal this planet. We are, here. <laughs> we are here to do the greatest good because we are designed to do the greatest good. So I hope that you join us, you join me in this regenerative movement, in this regeneration of ourselves, of our families, of our communities, of our landscapes, of our ecologies, of our earth. I'm Matt Powers. Grow abundantly, learn daily, and live regeneratively. And I hope you join us on Monday for the Kickstarter for Permaculture Soil Science and Solutions. It's going to be absolutely incredible. Thank you so much. Blessings and have a wonderful night.